Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. We have a lot to cover today. First Corinthians chapter 13. Joel, it's always good to have you in town, man. Um, lots of new faces this morning, lots of visitors. I want to say welcome. Uh, my name's Brandon. People say Pastor Brandon. I prefer Brandon. Um, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we're, we're here for you. I just want to make sure that that's known, that that's plain. We're here for you, and if there's something you need, if there's prayer that you need, um, man, please reach out. There's going to be an opportunity at the end of our service uh, where you can come forward and have someone sit down and talk to you about the needs that you have in your life and and things that you may or may not be struggling with or thinking about. Um, maybe you just need someone to pray with you over a situation. And so I just want to remind everybody and let you know that there are people available to you here that love you. And in fact, I believe that this ministry is a very, is a very uh, loving ministry. Um, but I think, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I hear a lot, and I have heard a lot in the years of ministry and, and the years that I've been involved in church is a statement that, that often gets made as it concerns young people, people your age, and it's this, man, so-and-so has so much potential, right? They're so gifted at fill-in-the-blank. Uh, they're so gifted relationally. They're so hospitable. There's, they, they're, you know, they have such a great uh, ability to, to communicate and to speak, and uh, so-and-so is so bold. So, they have so much potential, and one of the things that I've learned about a statement like that is that really uh, potential is only just potential, <laughs> right? It, it doesn't really ultimately have any bearing on the effectiveness of one's ministry. And what we've been learning about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that actually all of that potential is completely wasted and void if someone does not have charity in their life, if they're not a loving person. And what we've been learning is that love activates the gifting in our life. And so briefly, I just want to remind you what 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and am not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And those are pretty, pretty serious statements. And they should cause us to pause and consider what it means to have charity in our lives. And so what we need to be asking the Lord this morning is the following question, and this is the question that we've been looking at the last few weeks, and that's this. What does charitable or Christ-like love look like? What's it look like? And, and as we've discussed, you know, we live in a world where people don't know how to love. They use the word love. They talk about it a lot, right? In fact, in fact, we hide a lot of, we tuck a lot of sin in, inside the word love, to be honest with you. We, 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 we bury whatever it is, whatever proclivities we have, we bury them inside of the word love as though that's somehow going to insulate us from judgment. 
We don't know what love is. We don't understand love in marriage. We don't understand love in friendships. We don't understand love in our families, and our communities. We don't understand it. And so we have to ask the question as believers, what does it mean to love? It is a, it's a mess out there. It's a mess out there. Isn't it? The, the, world, the world does not know how to love you. It's a mess out there. Now listen, that mess is creeping in here. That, that mess has the potential to creep into the church and taint the way in which we understand each other and we understand love. And so we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be charitable? Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we've got a lot to cover today. We have six character qualities of charity to cover today, and so we've got to get on our, get on our horse, right? Giddy up. Here we go. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we need you this morning. And um, this is a room full of people that you look down upon, even right now, with, with charity. And it's, it's amazing the charity in which you've extended to us through Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And when we sit and think about it, it's, it's hard not to feel and sense um, to sense that love, to feel overwhelmed by your love for us. And yet, with all that love, it's, it's very difficult for us to love other people. Our flesh gets in the way, our selfishness, our pride gets in the way, and we, just, we really just don't know how. We need you to teach us. We need you to be our ultimate example. We need you to take us by the hand and and by our proximity to you, by our relationship to you, Lord, we, we hope to be sanctified in this way. And so teach us charity. Teach us to love. Teach us to care for souls the way that you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thanketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And so we are on number 10, which is rejoiceth not in iniquity. In other words, love does not glory in sin or evil. Love refuses to glory in sin or evil. So let's look at the definition of iniquity. Iniquity is not a word that we use day to day. It's clearly a King James word. It's a really good word that means unrighteous or unjust behavior. Any unrighteous or unjust behavior is iniquity. So if we rejoice in iniquity, that means when we participate in or observe sin... We celebrate it rather than grieve it, okay? So when we participate in something sinful or even when we observe something sinful going on in our culture, in our world, in our families, in our friendships, we observe it and we celebrate it, then that's rejoicing in iniquity. 
To rejoice in iniquity is to take pleasure in something that God takes displeasure in. So here's the first key point. We've got a lot. I'm sure there's over 30 in this series so far. Key point, charity doesn't put a positive light on what God views dimly. Charity refuses to do that. Now, for most Christians, we, wouldn't, we would never dare overtly celebrate drunkenness, right? If we're good Christians, right? So we would never, like, overtly celebrate drunkenness, right? We, we would never overtly celebrate rebellion or wicked or perverse language, Right? I, would, I mean, I would hope. We would, we would never overtly celebrate immodesty or promiscuity because we know what the Bible says and, and we're, supposed to, we're supposed to refrain from those things. We would never celebrate it. But listen, here's the problem with most Christians. We sure are good. We sure are good at entertaining it. We entertain it. Many of us struggle to distinguish the subtle difference between participation in sin an affirmation of sin. This is likely reflected in our passivity towards our friends and family who do celebrate sin. Or our willingness to attend activities where sin is being celebrated. Some of us don't have any problem being in an environment where sin is celebrated. And we kind of just exist try to take a neutral position. But you know, for a lot of us, even our very presence in those sinful places where others are celebrating sin is affirmation that it's okay. We're, we're, we're telling people, now listen, this is an issue of conviction. This is an issue of charity being worked out in your life. Sometimes we have to go to dark places to reach people in the dark. But there's a difference between going to reach them and going to be with them. We have, to, we have to learn how to distinguish between the two things. Some of us, some of us would never celebrate misogyny or murder, but we listen to music about it. And we sing about it in our car. We bump it. You know, because it's, you know, that's that jam from my childhood. You know, last night I was, at, I was at the Big 12 game with, with Kenny and Ken and Shepard. We went to watch the game. It didn't work, work out real well. KU lost by like 20 points. It was terrible. But um, I have to say, uh, Nellie came on. Shaq was there last night, by the way. Shaq was courtside. Shaq Diesel was DJing in the power and light after the game. Shepard wanted to go. And I was like, no, bro, because we... <laughs> We don't rejoice in iniquity. That's not what I said. I said, no, it's late, bro. We got to go to bed. <laughs> but when Nelly came on, I have to tell you, man, it took me back to sophomore year. It took me back to sophomore year. Knew all the words. Could have sung along. But you know what? I didn't. I refrained. Because I don't need my son asking me, oh, who is this, dad? Right? But the, the point is that our heart often is prone to rejoice in iniquity. Even if we're not celebrating it, we're often affirming it. We're often saying, well, it's not that, you know, it's not a big deal. 
Rejoicing in iniquity can look like taking pleasure in other people's pain as well. We all struggle with this. We say to ourselves, oh, they had that coming. So we're rejoicing when iniquity befalls other people. Charity isn't into making accusations or taking delight in other people's harm or failures. Other people's pain cannot be our victory. That's not charitable. It's not charitable to take victory in other people's pain and say, well, you know, that's what, that they reap what they sow. That's what wicked people get. See, that's unbecoming of charity. God's concerned by what we rejoice in. You know that? He's concerned by this. Proverbs 17, 15 says this. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. Isaiah 5, 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them. And we live in a world that is trying to conflate good and evil, that's mingling the two together so that we can't distinguish between dark and light. We live in that world. But it can't be true of us. Our definitions of what right and wrong are, we have to have them clear and we have to determine in the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit that we will resist rejoicing in things that are sinful and wicked. And we will, we will resist rejoicing when we see other people hurt. We have to. But how can we win? Here's the, here's the, here's the question. So I want, you to, I want you to think for just a second about your friends and family, okay? Think about, think about going to the football game with your family members, okay? Uncle Joe is getting wasted again, right? You're at Thanksgiving. You're at, a, you're at a family event. You're with your friends from high school, from college, and they're acting a fool. See, the question is, how, how can we win the soul's of the people that we affirm sin with. How, how, can we, how are we capable of winning the souls of people that we make light of their sin? Because ultimately, don't they have to see their sin in order to repent? But if you're busy making light with the posture of your life and the way that you behave, if you're making light of sin... If you're affirming it, how are they supposed to see it for what it is? We've got to be careful here. We've got to have discernment. We have to have wisdom. So we must all get to a place where iniquity causes us to grieve with a spirit of charity towards souls. In Hebrews, it describes the character of Jesus as follows. Hebrews 1.9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So here's the point. Charity knows how to balance a hatred for sin and grace for people. You know, it's, it's cliche to say, well, hate the sin and love the sinner, right? But it's so true. The reason it's trite is because it's just absolutely 100% the Christian view. 
Charity knows how to balance a hatred for sin and yet continue to extend grace for people who sin. We must know God well enough for our heart to be consistent with the Lord on these matters. We have to know him. How do we get to that place if we don't know him? We must, we must become convicted and troubled by our observations and our closeness to iniquity. But see, that's not enough to become charitable. We must also learn to love what's right. And so we have something spoken here in the negative, right? All right, rejoiceth not in iniquity. All right, but now we have something in the affirmative, in the positive that we're getting, and that's this, that we ought to rejoice in the truth. We ought to rejoice in the truth. Charity or love finds glory in what's true, in the truth. So, so what does it mean to rejoice in the truth? we got to define what truth is. What does the Bible say truth is? Well, Jesus defines it for us in John chapter 17. John 17, 17 says this. As he's praying, he's praying to God for his disciples, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. So the definition of truth is God's word. That is what's true. And as New Testament Christians, we have a completed and perfect book that contains the very divine and inspired words of God. We have that. We have that. We have truth. In fact, we have the truth. And it's the standard by which all claims are measured. See, there may be things that are true in our world, okay? There, There may be the laws of gravity, for instance, it's a truth. It's a, it's, it's a natural law in our world. Now, I can't turn in the, in the Bible and find the law of gravity or the law of thermodynamics, per se. But I want to point something out to you. There may be things that are true in our world, but all worldly truths are subject and at the mercy of and accountable to the truth of God's divinely inspired word. Every, every truth claim, whether scientific, mathematical, historical, philosophical, ideological, whatever claim that anyone ever makes is subject to the measurement and scrutiny of a book that we believe is absolutely 100% perfect in every regard, in every jot and tittle. So here's the point. Biblical love Biblical love, charity, inherently finds joy in truth. It inherently finds joy in truth. Charity accepts and celebrates the Bible as truth. And charity thrives when truth is propagated and accepted. For the charitable person, the person that loves, when they see discipleship happening, when they see small groups growing, their heart rejoices. For the charitable person, they are encouraging and facilitating the teaching of God's word everywhere they go. That's what charity looks like. Charity looks like rejoicing when we see churches planted. Because what, when we see that, what we know is that the word of God is being spread. 
And so if you can't rejoice in those things, then you don't have a heart of charity. If people growing in God's word and people getting sanctified and lives being changed does not excite you, then there's something broken in you as it concerns charity. You, I, you know, based on what we're reading, you are not a loving person if you can't rejoice in seeing truth expand. Why? Because we rejoice when we see truth systematically invested in people's lives. And this is something God is very, very concerned about. God is very concerned about your view on truth. Very concerned. It takes up a lot of space in Scripture. Listen how serious God is about his truth. Psalm 138.2 says this, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Listen. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Do you know what that's saying? You know what that's saying? That is saying that God takes his scriptures more serious than he does his own name. You know, the name that we ought to worship. You know, the name that causes every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. You know, that name. The name that will be chanted and declared as holy for eternity. That, you know that name? He says he holds his scriptures higher than his own name. He has magnified it above his name. That's how serious it is. God knows the value of truth in our lives as well. He knows the value and the impact and the importance of having truth in our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. See, if you want to change, if you want your life to change, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be a kinder person, more gentle person, if you want to figure out how to navigate this world appropriately, you cannot do that without God's word in your life. Consistently and regularly dissecting you, taking you apart and putting you back together. That's where righteousness comes from. And so God knows that the scriptures, that his word is necessary for change and for growth. Who doesn't want to change? Who doesn't want to grow? Who doesn't need that? Well, you need the word. We should rejoice in truth impacting other people's lives. This is something that we should be rejoicing in. 3 John 1.4 says this. And I, and I, I think about, this is one of my favorite verses as a pastor. Because I think about this verse often as it concerns you. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There is, no, there is no greater joy than to know that the people that I get to invest in, the people that I love, are choosing to walk and follow God's word. And you should feel the same way. Like this is not... This is not a feeling or a thought that's exclusive to me. This joy ought to be shared by anyone who invests in other people's lives. 
anyone that ministers the word of God to other people. There should be no greater joy for you than to hear and to see and observe those people, those children in the faith walking in the truth. So we should glory in truth. Here's the point. Charity, charity is the outward expression of truth being cultivated. Love, love is the outward expression of truth being cultivated. From the statement, charity rejoiceth in truth, I think that we can use reasoning, we can use rationale to also conclude or imply the following truths. If I struggle to be charitable, then it's likely the result of struggling to be in God's word. If I struggle to be charitable, then it's likely because I struggle to make time in God's word. Why, why am I not a loving person? Why am I sh- short with people? Why, why am I quick to anger? Why is it that I'm always starting stuff with my family members or my friends or, or my coworkers? I'm always stirring the pot. I don't like doing that. I just find myself doing it. I'm antagonistic by nature. Why is it that I have such a hard time loving people? Well, it's because you're not spending time with God. Also, we can, we can conclude that if I struggle to rejoice in other people's growth in the Bible, then I'm not a charitable person and I need to work on that. I need to figure out what it means to get that right. Okay, there's lots to say. Like, here's the, here's the struggle I'm having today. We've got about, we got about 25 minutes. I have a lot to say. I got, I got to keep moving, though. I'll wrap it up at the end. Okay, so if there, if, there are, if there are blanks that don't get covered, we'll wrap it up at the end. But here's the deal. We've got to recognize that if we're, we are not excited about people's growth, there's something the matter with our charity. And if there's something the matter with our charity, there's something the matter with our relationship with the Lord. Twelve, love beareth all things. Charity beareth all things. So love produces, listen, relational support. Love will produce in us relational support. So the definition to bear means to support or carry a burden. To support or carry a burden. In Scripture, this burden is sometimes physical, but more than often it's emotional or spiritual. To beareth all things means to uphold and carry the weight of others' difficulties. That's what it means. To beareth all things means to enter into other people's lives and support them and help them to carry the burdens that they're carrying. To come alongside people in their weaknesses. Now there are, there are lots of burdens associated with working with people in ministry. Now some of you are just now getting a taste of this. This is, this is brand new for you. Right? You're getting involved in ministry. You're getting involved in a small group. You're building relationships with people. You're taking responsibility for the ministry. You're growing in your faith. You recognize that there is a commission on your life to invest in people. And you're, for the very first time in your life, you're recognizing that relationships in ministry can be kind of hard. They can be difficult. They can be wearing. They can impact our emotions. They can, they can, they can mean, you know, Late night phone calls. They can, mean, they can mean requiring patience in counseling situations with people who don't deserve your patience. It means, it means when someone is on your last nerve 
or they can't seem to do what's right. You keep going. And in this fellowship of young people, I I believe that there's a culture for this. I I believe that there is a, a standard in place where people do want to invest. But listen, we are always in danger of losing that. All it takes is a handful of us to complain about the ministry and to throw our hands in the air and say, I'm done with so-and-so, or I'm tired of this or that, and suddenly it all comes crumbling down. That's how fragile charity can be. But it is hard. It's hard. It's hard to do ministry. It's hard to be involved in people's lives. But let's remind ourselves of God's perspective. See, supporting people, helping them with their burdens, is something that God is very, very concerned about. First Peter chapter 4 verse 7 says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Now I think we could all say amen to that, huh? Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And listen to what he says. So that at the end of all things, as, we, as, as the day approaches in which Christ returns, he tells us to be sober, he tells us to watch unto prayer, and listen to what he says, and above all things, Have fervent charity. Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Whose sins are you covering with your charity? Whose difficulties and problems are you covering with your charity? We and the people that we minister to are weak and we all struggle. People falter in their faith, and and, and those people require love. They require love. So here's the deal. Get this down. Love draws a veil over people's sins and weaknesses. Love will draw a veil over people's sins and weaknesses. And this is what I mean by that. Proverbs 10, 12 says this. Hatred stirreth up strife. But love covereth all sins. And so when when someone sins against you or fails or struggles or they they keep falling into that same sin over and over again and, and you run out of words, guess what? Love is Christ abounding in you to continue on in faith. Love says there's more in me to invest And this love is so great that I'm willing to protect a person from their sins and their faults being exposed to the world. Because I want to protect their testimony. I want to help them so that they're not identified or or associated or characterized by the fact that they fall or they struggle. You know, in the world, when someone messes up, the gossip chain, boom, just like this. All it takes, someone messes up And people take to Twitter. Someone fails. And they they get canceled. They get thrown away. They get tossed in the garbage. And this this is the way the world treats people. But what love says is is rather than rejoicing in iniquity, rather than than vaunting your sin or, or making you anathema, I'm very simply in my love, I'm just going to seek to cover or veil to protect you so that we can work together and deal with your sin in private. 
See, that privacy thing is important in love. See, love protects people's reputation and keeps other people's faults private. Proverbs 17, 9 says this. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. So, you know, charity doesn't dismiss sin. But it also, it also doesn't, doesn't shine a spotlight on it. Love is willing by necessity. Love is willing by necessity to cover sin, but also, listen, involve people, involve other counselors to make your faults known to the right people in order for you to get help. Charity also does that. Charity also knows that sometimes love looks like, hey, look, we've got to tell, we've got to tell the pastor about this. That we need to be private. We need to not involve everybody. But let's go to the pastor and let's get you the help that you need. Let's get you the counseling that you need. Let's get you the investment that you need. Love is also willing to do that. So we should be, we should be as ministers, listen, we should be relationally reliable. Relationally reliable. Relationally reliable. Are you reliable as a minister? People should be able to find in us a strength and compassion that looks like Christ Jesus. Here's a key point for you. Charity makes, a ref, makes us a refuge for the weak and the weary. Charity makes us a, a refuge for the weak and the weary. Love says no matter what happens, no matter how deep the hole that you dig, I still love you. I won't throw you away. No matter how challenging the circumstances, you are still my brother in Christ, you are still my sister in Christ, and I love you. And and we will walk through this together. Now, of course, Jesus shows us how to do that. There's a prophecy of Christ in Isaiah 53, 1, and it says this. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should, that we should desire in him. So we're speaking about Jesus here. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And listen, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity or the weakness or the failures of us all. Christ bore our weaknesses. Can we not, in the power of Christ, bear other people's weaknesses? 13, 13. Believeth all things, believeth all things. So listen, this is what this says. With love, we will have belief for the impossible. With love, with charity, we will be able to believe for the impossible. So what's the definition of believeth? To believe is to be convinced of the sufficiency 
of a truth claim. Are you guys with me? Are you, are you awake? Okay. I know. It's a weird day. Shake it off. Got a little ways to go here. To believe is to be convinced of the sufficiency of a truth claim. To believe is to be confident in the authority of another. In this case, God. To be confident. To trust in the things that he has to say. To believeth all things is to say that there isn't anything that God is not capable of doing. I mean, now, listen. Every single day, you define in your own life the things that are impossible. In fact, this is how we categorize our world. This is how we make decisions. Well, that's not possible. This is possible. This is not possible. This is possible. We categorize our whole lives this way. This is like, this is how we create a budget financially, right? This is how we distinguish what we're going to do, what we're going to invest in. Okay, listen, there are limitations on the way in which we see the world. There are constraints. But in God's mind, everything is open. See, to him, to the infinite, everything is a possibility. There is nothing or no person too far gone for God to reach. Here's the point. When things seem impossible, charity insists that God can. Insists upon it. When things seem impossible, which they often do, charity in our hearts makes us completely naive to the frailty and the weakness and the difficulty of any situation. So what this suggests is that our love should produce a deep and abiding belief that God does things that aren't feasible within human reasoning. That's his business. When we trust in God, then we can begin to trust in others. Okay, you, you have, like a lot of us in the room, let's be honest, we struggle with trusting people. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you were hurt by family members. Maybe your parents treated you poorly. Maybe you were done dirty in a business venture. Maybe your friends abandoned you at some point. And so what happens is, what happens in our lives is we build walls between us and people, making it very difficult for, our, for us to put our confidence in anyone. And so we stay isolated. We only trust ourselves. Well, God knows you can't trust you. You can't trust you. Don't pretend like you can and so what happens is we, we, we lack confidence in other people. But here's the deal. When we learn to put trust in God, he teaches us how to trust in others. He teaches us what it looks like to partner with people, to come alongside people, knowing that even if you do get burned, God's still good and I still trust him. See, what I do is when I trust in the Lord, I create capacity to invest in people and I cre create capacity to be gracious towards those that hurt me. I can be confident. I can be con if I can be confident in the Lord, I can be confident in my relationships because ultimately I know that God has kept me, that he loves me. So the more we lean on God, the more we can lean on each other. God cares about what we believe in. 
The angel that visited Elizabeth to declare that she would have a baby, despite the fact that she was barren and beyond age to have children, said the following thing, Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. It's a wonderful statement, a very simple statement. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. After Christ uh, 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 said it was impossible for the rich man, remember the rich man? And the rich man couldn't, could, he, his, his riches and his, his, um, his te- being tethered or in bondage to his wealth and pride was a declaration of how difficult it was for proud people to get to heaven, right? It was a declaration. He used this man as an example. And he said, man, it, it'd be easier for, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man like this to receive salvation. Because in his mind, he has everything he needs. Why would he need me, right? In the same breath, Jesus says this. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. But when we look at our friends and our family members who we love and they seem so far from God, we say to ourselves, it's impossible. It seems so impossible. It, se- it seems like them coming to salvation, it'll, ne- it'll never happen. They're so wayward, they're so bent backwards. They, they, they have literally exchanged good and evil. And you look at them and you say, I don't, I, they're reprobate. Their hearts are hardened. I, there's nothing I could say. There's nothing I could do. And we say, oh, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's possible. God has made it possible. God has made it possible. Proverbs fourteen fifteen says, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. This is a really interesting passage because it can be read two different ways. It's a paradoxical statement. But the thing I want to focus on is the fact that if we, if we are simple in heart, if we are just a little bit naive, if we are, oh, say, uh, foolish in our belief, then it puts us in a position to trust God for impossible things. And then our prayer life, in our prayer life, we begin to request things of God that seem so absurd like if you can't if you can't if you can't go to God with impossible things, what what hope is there? If you can't if you can't come to the Lord in your prayer life and say, God, will you do this and this and this and this and this, and expect that He actually is going to respond to you as a as His child, what, what hope do we have in our Christian life? I mean, it it, it makes it makes it makes things feel hopeless. We have to be able to trust God. We have to believe on him. We have to know that he is good towards us and that he wants to hear our prayers. Psalm 119, verse 66 says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. See, this book is full of promises that we can make claims over. This book is riddled with promises to us that if we simply would read it and pray it back to God, 
He is ready and willing to do the impossible in our lives. I'm not saying that he's going to grant you your every selfish wish. We're not talking about that. We're talking about acknowledging what his will is and claiming the promises as true over Christian life. God wants to work in you, and he wants to recover those that you think or you're tempted to think are too far gone. So here's this. Charity trusts God and produces the confidence necessary to trust others also. Charity trusts God. So love, love trusts God. For the person who loves, they trust God. And that, and that trust produces confidence necessary to trust others. Now, God never asks us to be a doormat to people. We don't need to be naive of people who are seeking harm or, or want to do us ill or, or want to do evil by us. But we don't need to be skeptical of every person's intentions. Some of you guys live like skeptics. You're pessimistic as it concerns every person that you encounter. You always think the worst of everyone. That's the first inclination. And we've got to get beyond that. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Trust God. And don't fear men. Love people. Partner with people. Now because love believes, it also hopes. So, so 14, hopeth all things. By necessity, one that believes will also hope. The two things go together, hand in hand. So with love, we will have hope for, for the impossible thing. We will believe God for impossible things. And we will expect those things. So the definition of hope is this, the expectation of good things. Hope is the expectation of good things. In other words, love is optimistic for good outcomes. Love is optimistic for good outcomes. So even when the data points in the other direction, even when people give us every reason to doubt, even when it appears that things are headed towards negative conclusions, our belief in God produces hope until the final hour. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, faith, and hope, by, by necessity, are coupled to each other. So here's our point. Charity wants God's best so deeply that it believes every situation will have a righteous result. Charity wants so desperately for God's very best in every person and every situation that it naively, it naively hopes that every single situation in life will result in God's very best. Now, will it? Of course not. But will it? But will it? I mean, do you believe? I mean, we know that ultimately that even the consequences or the judgment of the wicked is glory to God. That when the, when, when the, the unrighteous is judged, that that is a glory to God and that is God's result. That is what, that's part of his righteous result. 
We know that to be true. But you know what God wants? You know what the Bible says? Is that it's God's will that none should perish. See, it's God's desire. See, it's his will. It's his desire that all would receive him. Will everyone receive him? No. But it's his will. It's his desire. Now, the point is, is this. Not everything is going to always go the way we imagine it. Not every prayer is going to get answered the way that you imagine it. Not every life is going, to, is going to fall out to the glory of God. Despite the fact that you're praying and believing, we, we, we know that to be true. But you know what love does? It hopes for all those things to the point of absolute naivety. It trusts, it makes the heart vulnerable. It believes right up to the edge. Love takes you out to the precipice, the point of danger where your heart could be stomped on. But listen, we have to keep hoping. We have to keep believing demands that we hope. And it's amazing what our God can do. We have to put our hope in him. So just like belief, we can hope the best for others because our hope is ultimately in Christ. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Number 15. Endureth all things. Love produces an experiential fortitude. Experiential fortitude. So what is the definition of endureth? It's to continue, to remain, to not give up. That's what enduring is. To not give up, to continue on, to abide. To endureth all things means to persist regardless of the circumstances. Now this is different than beareth all things. To bear all things means our charity gives us the capacity to lift other people up without failing in our strength. That's what, bear, that's what beareth all things is, is to invest ourselves in people's lives and have the strength to hold them and to keep them and to protect them. But to endureth all things means we have the capacity to go through anything without failing in strength. It's strength for our circumstances. Now God is concerned about our endurance in ministry. God knows that endurance of mind and heart is critical, especially in the last days, because there will be so much distraction and dismay in our lives that we will want to give up. We will want to quit. And guess what? Christians are doing it every day. They're trading, they're trading their faith in Christ for, I don't know, hope in politicians. They are trading their faith in Christ for distractions and entertainment. They are trading their faith in Christ for anything, anything that would keep them from going through the difficulty of being a Christian. Listen, y'all, it's supposed to be hard. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That day's here. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Listen, endure afflictions. 
do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. But listen, Paul's testimony himself is that he endured. So he has the ability to make this request to his friend Timothy because he himself has endured affliction and survived and continued on and persisted. Verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered. He knows his life is short. He says, And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, Paul's saying he wants to come to Corinth and visit them. And I will not be burdensome to you. So he doesn't want to be a burden to them, but listen to what he says. For I seek not yours, but you. He's telling them that he doesn't want to be a burden to them, but he wants to bear their burdens. For the children... Ought not to lay up for the, for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. For, the, for uh, the, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The statement that he will gladly spend and be spent is the exact sentiment that I'm trying to communicate here. That is charity. See, we should be able to endure difficulty and hardships for Christ's name. Christ's love has endured the very worst evils, and his injuries did not prevent him from accomplishing the work that he set out to do. He prevailed in love. And yet we so often grow weary at the prospect of a busy week. We grow, we grow weary knowing that we have a difficult situation to deal with this week. And Jesus Christ himself came to earth knowing from his inception that he was going to a cross for people who would spit on him. <sighs> Enduring is the standard for ministry leadership. 2 Timothy 2.3 Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, one of my, my favorite quotes, um, Melissa made fun of me about it the other day because I posted it like a month ago. This is one of my favorite quotes. She does that, by the way. She gets to do that. You guys don't get to do that. She gets to do that. 
This is one of my very favorite quotes. This is from the journal of George Washington. He wrote this after one of the battles. And he's recounting the battle. Uh, You know, obviously, for those of you, I'm going to say this is for our international students, but some of y'all forgot American history. This is the American Revolution. 1776, y'all. But this is what he wrote. Listen to this. Listen Listen to what he said. And I want you to make sense of it. He said, I heard the bullets whistle. And found something charming in the sound. Now how does a person get like that? How does a person hear the bullets whistle past their head and yet dig in and go further and not quit? What's the key? What's the key to enduring hardness? What's the key of being a good soldier? It's love. It's love for something bigger than yourself. Here's the point. Charity readies our heart and mind for difficult times. Charity readies our heart and mind for difficult times. But beyond this, I want to point something out to you is that all the things, all of the 15 different characteristics that we've talked about with charity, all the things that we've looked at here, that none of these things are possible if we don't first choose to love Christ, to get close to him, to want him, to believe in him, to hold to him, to seek his face. See, Kaya is a, is a resilient and a persistent ministry because I believe that you care for people. But we can't lose that charitable spirit. Charity is our strongest asset. It's not in your gifting. The, our strongest asset is not your ability to praise or to be hospitable or to protect the flock or to preach to teach, to study. It's not in your service. It's not in the things that you can do for the ministry. Your greatest strength is Christ's love lived through you. And we, we, to, get, to get to that place, we have to follow him. We have to follow him. I want to invite David up to close us in worship. And as we do that, I want to mention just a couple things. The first thing is this, is that some of you want to be charitable, but you don't know Jesus. You don't know Christ. You've never experienced forgiveness. You've never experienced that kind of love, and you need to receive him today. Others of you, you want to become charitable. You want to, you want to experience charity in your own life. Listen to me. You need to get discipled. You need to learn God's word because God's word informs the love that we're supposed to be living. So you need to choose to get discipled. And we take discipleship really seriously here. And so if discipleship, if mentorship in God's word is something that you want, come forward and talk to somebody about that. Some of you, you want want to be charitable 
but you're not in a small group, so you don't have a place to practice charity. I mean, you're not around believers. You're not coming in contact with people in a vulnerable way. You're not coming and bumping up against And so a great place for you to, to practice selflessness and charity, a great place to do that is in Bible study. Go throw yourself into a community of people that know your business, that are involved in your life, that you're going to offend at some point and they are going to offend you. People that you soldier with. And when you find those people, they'll teach you charity. You'll learn it. I mean, I'm not one of those parents that threw their kid in the deep end of the pool, right, to learn to swim. But you know what? The Bible study is a, is a great place for you to get your feet wet. It's the kiddie pool of, of learning charity. And I think, you need, I think you need to find a place where you fit in terms of Bible study. So I've said a lot, and I feel like I've said nothing. That's the, that's the way I feel right now. I feel like over the last three weeks, I've said a lot of things, and I feel like I've said nothing at the same time. And I think the reason is, is because God's charity is greater in depth and power than the expanse of the entire universe. His love transcends everything. And, and we fall so short. We desperately need Christ Jesus in our lives. We desperately need him. We need to cling to him. And when we do, all the things that we desire for our lives and our relationships, they will take care of themselves. Charity will happen to you. You won't need to be deliberate about being charitable. You'll just become charitable. And that's what we have to know, and that's what we have to believe. So pursue Christ. If you've got something to deal with today, come forward. We're going to worship. We're going to worship the Lord. There will be counselors up front. Let me pray, and we'll get into worship. Please make a decision if you feel compelled. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. I'm sorry, Lord, that I'm so woefully, uh, you know, unqualified and insignificant in terms of my ability to communicate everything that you are. Lord, I, I pray that we would just simply recognize how wonderful charity is and we would feel um, a desire to know you that we, that we might become like Christ, that we might grow into the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ, that we might look like our big brother. That's what we want. And so whatever step someone needs to take today in order to get to a place where they are, they're looking to Christ for the standard of their life, Lord, please draw them in, provoke them to make the decision to act on on what they're saying. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.